All right. Good evening, Warriors and board members. This is from the War Room to the Board Room podcast, episode seven with Stefan Manuel. I am your host, Mayshawn Wilson, Strategic Deals Business Operations at Apple, combat veteran, Duke MBA and West Pointer. Today, my guest is uh, Stefan Manuel. He and I will be discussing preparing a transition and his transition to business school consulting and entrepreneurship. Stefan, uh, one of my dear friends, is uh, has an MBA and a Master of Design and Innovation. He's the CEO and founder of True Fiction. And after spending time as a special operations engineer officer, he's kind of built out this startup focusing on telling diverse stories. He's a graduate of West Point Northwestern University. And without further delay, Stefan Manuel. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me, Meishan. So, Steph, uh, you're a man of many talents. You're doing a lot of great things. So for our listeners who don't know much about you, can you tell them a bit of a snapshot of who you are and kind of what brought you into the military? Yeah, so um, uh, originally from Miami, Florida, uh, born and raised there. Uh, both of my parents are immigrants from Haiti. So I'm a first-generation American. And I've always had like a deep sense of gratitude for being uh, born in this country and all, all the opportunities that it provided me. And I always had a sense of service because of that. And so did my parents. My father was a real estate broker. and He was his, he focused on helping um, immigrants find, you know, affordable housing and good deals. And my mom was also a social worker. So there's always had that sense of, um, that sense of service. And when it was time to think about college, you know, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. But, you know, 9-11 was still, you know, very fresh in my mind. And a, a really good friend of mine, Incha, told me about West Point. And there was no one in my family that was ever in the military. So it was such a foreign idea to me at the, at the time. But I got the opportunity to go to the summer camp that they had. And it was just a, a whole different world to me. That experience it was so different from the things that I was surrounded or surrounded with uh, when I was growing up. So that my that that whole summer changed my life. And I decided I wanted to go to West Point, change my trajectory, change my motivation in school. And that's what eventually got me into the, the military. Nice, nice. Um, and so you said beyond that, just minimal exposure to the military. Uh, did you play a sport at West Point and kind of did you spend your entire time as an engineer officer just to give our listeners a little more? Yeah, value? yeah. So um, got to West Point. You know, I was a manager on the spring football team. I was a member of the boxing time for a little boxing team and also did um, intramural basketball. Got a um, got my degree in mecha- um, mechanical engineering with a concentration in in biology. Upon leaving West Point, uh, I, I branched as a uh, combat engineer. So the 12 Alpha spent most of my time, all of my time at Campbell um, in the 101st Airborne Division and 3rd Brigade Combat Team Rockassons. And uh, did two deployments to Afghanistan, both in, in 13 and 15, primarily focused on route clearance and base defense operations. And then I finished my military career um, at the 160th as the regiment engineer. Very cool. And so making that pivot into the civilian side, kind of what do you do now? And from there, kind of the experiences that of how you got there. So when I decided to get out, um, one thing that was on my mind was time to think. 
because I spent the majority of, you know, there's West Point and then there's the commit the five-year commitment afterwards. Um, you basically spend a decade of your life in a in a military environment. And I didn't really know what else the world had, uh, what what else the world had to offer. So I decided to, I was like, I need some time to think. And I need some time to develop a a, uh, a skill set that would serve me outside of the military. Because, you know, yes, you learn all this great leadership in the military. You learn a certain level of grit, and these are you, you learn a lot of a lot of project management, dealing with people and people skills, and these are highly valuable. But um, I felt that I needed to combine that with something to be successful. So, around you know year four. In my service, I decided thinking about what was next, and I, I, and I, through some combination of mentorship and some research, decided that business school would be the next, the next step for me to just give me two years of time to learn, you know, combine, you know, really leadership skills that I developed with another skill set and have some time to explore other civilian opportunities. And I will I imagine we'll dive a little bit deeper into each, but. You know, did that, and then I decided to become a strategy consultant, and I did that for eighteen months, um, focusing on industrial, an industrial sector, and the tech sector. And then I eventually took my uh, a startup that I started while I was in business school full time, and that's what I'm currently doing now. And for our listeners, could you tell them a little about True Fiction and kind of what you're working on and kind of what your mission is? Yeah, so True Fiction, um, education company that uses comic books to tell the untold stories of marginalized groups. So we create original historical fiction comic books on all the stories that you generally wouldn't see in uh, a U.S. history textbook. And our eventual goal is that regardless of how you identify, you can see yourself uh, meaningfully represented in history. So we do that providing the comics, but we also provide professional development coaching and lesson planning for teachers to support them in the teaching of history from the perspective of inquiry. So how do we look at, how do we take students through these inquiry journeys around deconstructing history, reading primary, secondary source documents, and really learning about how, really learning about the intersection of, you know, culture, history, systems, and Really, empathy around the history of the history of people, and I started the idea. Really, the idea in some ways started during my time in the military, because uh, during you know I was deployed during thirteen and fifteen. You know that was kind of the first wave of you know police brutality and social unrest on social media, and I always felt that although I can make the argument that I was well educated. Um, I I really didn't understand the genesis of a lot of social issues in the U.S. Um, and I always felt that my K-12 history should have taught me something about that. And, you know, that really bothered me as a person who was, you know, fighting for freedom. because I didn't know these things. And when I went to business school, while I was getting an MBA, I was also getting a master's in human-centered design. And I started running research studies on how people learn about social issues through the media. And people would often tell me stories about them experiencing racism, homophobia, misogyny, or something of the sort. And there weren't a lot of good tools to help them understand. So from there, from that and my personal experience, I felt like there was a great opportunity to create um, media-based learning experiences that 
look at let, look at the genesis of social issues through learning about learning about history. No, it's that's very helpful. And so do you feel like in going to this experience, kind of the military experience that brought you there, um, the business school experience, consulting experience, do you feel like those were all necessary prerequisites to work on your current project or were those just kind of exploratory processes to get there? You, you know, I think it's a winding road for all of us finding out what, you know, who who we want to be, what we're meant to be, you know, these, these kind of these kind of esoteric questions. And I, I just think that there's a lot of valuable experiences that I got out of the military. And there are a lot of valuable experiences that I got out of business school, out of consulting, and even experiences and skill sets that I'm developing while being a full-time entrepreneur. But um, you don't always know immediately what are the right things, what are very specific things that you have to do to have this particular outcome. Um, I think it's more about intentionality, where, you know, while I was in business school, I was very intentional about taking entrepreneurship classes. I was very intentional about joining the entrepreneurship clubs so that when I wanted to be an entrepreneur or I wanted to do something, if I if I had spent the time in, this, in studying to do these things and it didn't work, then I have a data point to say, is this something I should be doing? Do I need to work harder? Do I need to approach this from a different path? And if you're not intentional about, especially your transition, if you're not intentional about your transition or anything you want to do, then you're going to flounder. Because you don't even, when you get to a place, you don't know why you got there because you never had intention from the first place. Now, that doesn't mean you won't, that doesn't mean you won't be quote unquote successful. That doesn't mean you won't get a six figure salary. It just means you're just going to be somewhere and you may not know why. And that can be difficult because you, you, you and I, we both have friends who take a multiple routes around transition. Take the B school route, law school route, the JMO program route, and some people come out of come they transition, really good paying job, but they hate it. <laughs> they hate it so much, and they're making good money, but they're like in a soul sucking job. So I think it's about intention. Like you have to do the work because in the military, you're told who and what you got to be. You know when you're going to get promoted. You know the salary bands. You know how many top blocks you have to get. You know, you know what experiences, what schools. You these things are very clear. When you make that transition, the playbook's different because for the first time, for for many of us, it's like it's the first time in our lives where we really have to lead. We have to lead ourselves in a way that we we didn't necessarily have to do. And that intentionality is just super, it's like, that's the most important thing you can do. And it's whether that's like talking to people or researching schools, that's, I think that, that, that thing, that intentionality, the, um, I would say is like the prerequisite. That makes sense. And so in switching that focus to where you're no longer using, say a DA PAM to negotiate your entire career, but navigating that white space, what were you trying to optimize for? And then two, what kind of resources did you leverage to kind of figure that out? Was it, you know, the other engineers? Was it, you know, friends, family members? Like, how did you figure out 
all the nebulous thing that is civilian life or post-military life? Um, I think the first thing I wanted to optimize for was I wanted to get as many skills as possible in the least amount of time so I could have more flexibility in the job market because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So when I thought about that, I was like, well, I can go get an MBA, which is, you know, a generalist, you know, a generalist degree for a career switcher. Um, that gives me plenty of options. I know what companies are going to recruit from the schools that I, my target schools. And I did a dual degree program. So I could also have that additional skill set to do, you know, very particular jobs. And that's what I, that's what I wanted. Op, that's what I wanted to optimize for. Um, and the other piece was, I always felt that the military is very much a culture. We're just going to do things the way, way we've always done them. And I felt that that could hurt me in the civilian sector. So by getting a degree in design, it was very much like, how do I build this very creative muscle that allows me to do general business activities, but also manage highly creative processes. And the way I thought about thinking through this was, you know, talking to other grads other grads who kind of made the transition, went to business school. I looked at a couple career transition organizations that help career switchers um, move into um, business school and move into Fortune 500 companies. So it was it was very much coming to the process as like a very humble person, like, hey, I don't I don't know much about this. Um, I this is the homework that I did. This is the, what I know about your career. I have X questions. What you know? What advice did you have for me? And then actually applying their advice and doing the work, because you know, West Point's a great school. It has a great brand, but you still have to do the work. You still have to write the essays. You still have to get the letter of recommendations. You still may have to hire a tutor so you can get a good get a good score on a test. Like. West Point will West Point will get you someone to open an email for you, but you still there's still all the work that has to happen. Awesome. So some of those programs like MLT and the other ones that you used. Yeah, so MLT Management Leadership for Tomorrow is a a great MBA prep program that I applied to, and they were super helpful in helping me like craft my essay, think about what target schools that I wanted to go to. And think about just managing the entire process because very few people just randomly decide that they want to go to a top 10 business school and just magically get in. Um, there are people who have, this has been on their plan since they were 19 years old um, and they've been prepping. So you have to do that work and you have to, you have to catch up um, as well. And there's a lot of amazing officers and um, NCOs who are looking to do the same thing, who are looking to make that transition. And, you know, you're competing against them in a lot of ways. And it is highly competitive and you just have to do the work. But there's help out there. Um, there's service to schools, service to schools, which can help you out where it's, you know, former, it's, it's veterans who've already been through the process that can support you um, in preparing a competitive business school application. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so in terms of like how you got to where you were, how did you think about kind of your last job in the military? When did you start thinking about like how many months like it was time to leave and start planning that process? Um, right after my second deployment, I knew it was time, <laughs> I knew it was time to leave. At that point, you know, 
I deployed, I deployed as an XO. Um, then I made transition to battle captain. And then I came back and I, at that point I was like, I don't, I knew I didn't want to be a battalion commander. Although I thought the idea of being a company commander would have been extremely rewarding. I think I looked at my wife and her career and I was just like, this would be very challenging for us. So I was like, it's, it's kind of time to figure out what's next. And I didn't want to do an ad. So <laughs> to go to career course. <laughs> um, so, just, you know, just really finding out, okay, what was a good, what, what was a job that I could like do well at that I cared about that I felt like I was still um, contributing to the, contributing to the service. Cause you know, I didn't want to just, I just didn't want to be that guy in, in the three shop or that captain who does N- every NTC and JRTC rotation. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I, you know, I applied, I applied to go to 160th and, you know, I was uh, fortunate to get in and had an amazing time there for, for my, for my, for my last 18 months of service. Um, and you know, it was a lot of really hard work, but it was flexible, hard work. You know, it wasn't a lot of, 1800 1900 something just came down from brigade drop everything you're doing there was there was never none of that <laughs> so i just had the time and space to think about you know what schools i wanted to apply to do the studying you know get into some of these mba prep programs no it's very helpful and so you mentioned kind of flexibility being really important and so i guess what does that look like because a lot of people don't necessarily understand you know, because you're taught frontline units, force comm, kind of what are some of the things that you need to make a successful transition? And like, what type of jobs or considerations should you have in mind as you kind of figure so, that? I think the first thing is you probably need to start planning a year out, like at a minimum, like, because if you can look up when the school starts, you can look up when applications are due, and you can start backwards planning. But you're like, hey, a year out, it gives you enough time to be able to say, hey, these are probably the 10 schools that I'm interested in. This is probably the target score that I need to be competitive. Um, these are the letters. These are the people who are going to write my letters of recommendation. You know, this is like my plan to write up, you know, write out, write all these essays. And a year out, probably is a time if you wanted to like reach out to like services schools or some other MBA prep program. A year, a year, really, a year to eighteen months out. You have enough time to do it well and give yourself the best, op- the best opportunity of submitting a competitive application. Because if you rush it, you know, there's only so much you can do in like three months to get an application. In. Like there could, there could be so many things happening with your unit that you know completely derail everything that you want to do. And you may have to study five to six hours. Well, let me say, you may have to study four hours a day for this test. Like it may be like all you do with your free time to be successful because it's going to take a while, take up a lot of your free time. So, um, as far as like you know, what your role will be or like you know what your duty assignment kind of depends. Um, depends on your command climate. Depends on where you are. Because if you're if you're just finishing command, you're just finishing command, and you're gonna you're gonna take you're gonna downshift in intensity or op tempo, then it doesn't really matter because you know you kind of check that block, or you know if you're appro- if you're approaching the end of your 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 service agreement, 
there may be interesting job at division or brigade <laughs> that you could take for a year. But I, but I would also say though, it is in your best interest in your transition to be the best army officer you, you can be, because you want to submit a. The goal of submitting a competitive application is basically being a top block guy or or gal or whoever. Most of the time, you're in military because <laughs> um, there's probably someone who's very familiar with ORBs or very familiar with enumeration, very familiar with what schools and what positions, you know, the go-getters have. And they'll be able to see through, you know, who was making it happen in their unit and who wasn't. You're preparing for your transition the first day you, the day you take your oath, that's the day you prepare for your transition. By, you know, really being the best army officer you can be. That enumeration, those RRBs, those are those may be the same people who write your letters of recommendation to these to these schools if you if you decide to take the business school route. No, it makes sense. And even for other graduate programs, do you find that one as you were looking at going to business school, but also going to consulting, that those army stories, those leadership opportunities, were the distinguishing factors between you and some of your peers, or would you say it was a bit more ubiquitous than that? Um, I I think. It's no one can no one can do a better job at being you than you, and that's what you have to do. Um, I think a lot of times people in their essays or in their interviews, they try to be something that they're not. And I would say you just need to quickly understand what is the measure of excellence or the bar of excellence. Find out what that is, beat that. And then throw in your personality or whatever you're really good at. <laughs> and that's that's the goal. So very much in my applications, it's very like if you were a friend of mine, well, one thing I would do for every application I wrote, I would send it to like my siblings. I would send it to friends that I grew up with and I would ask them, does this sound like me? And if it didn't, I would rewrite the essay. Hmm. Regardless of me going to a top business school or wherever I was going. You know, it should be authentic to the person. It should be authentic to me, my my journey. And that should be very clear when you pick up my application. And it's your ability to, you know, really market and tell your own personal story and make the argument that given your life story, if we add this business school experience, that this is going to send you on your, your, your trajectory is going to become a rocket ship. And that's the argument that you're making. If you tell someone what they want to hear, you're not effectively making that argument. So you found it helpful to get those outside perspectives, cultivate those relations while you were in your various assignments and duty stations. In your transition, did you did you go directly from the army into business school, or did you kind of have some time to kind of unwind before kind of stepping into that new experience? I had like 14 days, which I wouldn't recommend. Um, if I could do it all over again, I would have took six months to just do nothing or like travel. Like I started business school. Yeah, I started business school and then flew back two weeks later to pack up my apartment and drive back, drive to business school. So like I wouldn't do that. I didn't really have any I didn't have any real transition time. And there's such a culture shock that I kind of had when I when I when I arrived at business school. Just uh just everything, you know, I've spent most of my, I spent my whole military career in very high op tempo units. 
you know, and always just getting ready to deploy or be deployed. And I went to a much slower, different type of place. And having some time to like decompress would have been really valuable to me. Um, that's what I would have, if I could have done it differently, I would have took some time. Taking much more time, probably like six months. You also talk about you know, being a married person, how you kind of navigate that planning process and the transition. Because when you're managing kind of your wife, spouse, significant other, yeah. potential kids, even though you don't have any, how that looks different than, say, a single person like myself. Um, ours was different because she was applying to business school with me. So we were um, we were heads down. Every day after work, four hours of testing, essay writing, proofreading our essays. Because we've um, we're separate for a lot of the time, files and service. So we wanted to. The ideal situation would be that we get into the same school and we attend at the same time. If we didn't, we'd be open to going to school separately. But that's not what we wanted. So we're like very focused on just please get in the same school. And a lot, luckily, luckily we did. And it, it was also, you know, a great, it was a great opportunity for her to also, you know, shift her career because, you know, a lot of times spouses in the army have to sacrifice um, for their loved ones, especially their career. So we we kind of both had that opportunity to, I got to make, you know, I got to make my shift, but it was also, you know, let's put, let's pour some jet fuel on her career as well. Uh, and now it's like a very like helpful thing to do. It sounds like in, in your transition, you were also trying to optimize for a little bit better work-life balance and kind of family life. Is that is that? Oh, about? I wouldn't say that because um, when I was a consultant, I worked a lot of hours. <laughs> I would not say I had any sort of work-life balance. Um, <laughs> I, I worked a lot, worked on a lot of random stuff. I know a lot of random things about industries that I will probably never use in my entire life. But I just got to see a lot. I got in what was valuable, you know, and I, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I got to see what a lot of what I did not want to do um, in consulting. I tried something like, oh, I don't want to do this. I tried something else. I didn't want to do this. I tried something I thought I would love to do, get to see what's see under the hood. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I do not want to do this at all. Um, can, can you give some examples? Because I mean, I'm sure some of our listeners have never been consultants like you and I and have no idea. So I worked in the industrial space around like like optimizing factories and their operations. You know, understanding that you know really like operation strategy, or what we would think about if we we're going to shut down X amount of factories in five or ten years. What what factories would they be? Or if you want to expand production, production lines in the next five or 10 years, what factories would we select to do that? In what order? Why? Where are the problems? Where's the business case numbers? Uh, you know, or, you know, work on like a tech strategy. Like this is a technology company that used to sell, you know, software in this way. Now they want to sell it in a different way. And what are the, what's the kind of process of, making that change or a change management strategy where an organization is going to go through, they're going to fundamentally change how they do all their operations and how they're going to do that over three to five years while um, maintaining company, company employee morale, 
without decreasing the efficiency or effectiveness of their operations, or what is the acceptable amount of you know decreasing operations efficiency due to this change management process? So lots of like random, lots of like random, random things. Uh, but it's all good to see under the hood uh, of large Fortune 500 companies and how work gets done. Uh, it was it was good to kind of have that perspective because I would say everyone and I think a lot of people when they make the transition and they're like you know they, you may have your gripes about the army. But a lot of the things that are part of the army, they're just part of work of any large organization. You're you're going to be like, oh, I hate this in the army. I hate that in the army. And you're going to show up in a Fortune 500 company. It's going to be the exact same thing. You yeah. may get paid more money, but you will not have the same camaraderie. And that would be probably the biggest difference. So when it goes back to what I said around intentionality, that's why it's so important. Because your greatest resource is your time. and the more intentional you're, you are about how you spend your time and the skills that you build around that, you know, you're just going to build greater career momentum or greater flexibility in the things that you get to do and um, actually meet people that you can help or that can help you and build like a powerful network. I think that's a great point. I would say that's easily a 10,000 foot gym. Yeah. Some things are not an army thing, but a people and big organization thing. Yeah. And and I forgot to say this, but the other thing I would say that I optimized for was a network as well. Because if, for instance, if I went to a military academy, my network is West Pointers. And then my network is, you know, the people that I met at Campbell. That is my professional network. Um, and all, all great people, people that I still stay in contact with and have helped me outside of the military. But you don't have a strong professional network um, when you transition. And having a network of intelligent, smart people that are spread across industries that care about you is super valuable because it lets you, you know, you have insight into what's happening in the market, in the, in the career space, across industries. You want to switch a job, there's usually someone you can connect with and they'll give you, you know, they'll give, they'll give you time. And um, I think it's also incredibly important for your learning because you can read, you know, you're going to, you can read the financial times, New York times, you're going to read all these things, but there is, there is, there's a lot of value in being able to talk to someone who's actually at the company who is dealing with the problem in real time and your learning is faster. And like an analogy, I would say in the army is like, if you're an XO and this is your first time going to JRTC or NTC, it's great when you just can call someone, one of your buddies from ROTC or from West Point or whoever and like, hey, didn't your unit go to NTC or JRTC six months ago? What was happening? What did you learn? What were your mistakes? How can I not screw this up? You have that. You 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 had that in the military. You don't have that necessarily when you make the transition at some of these companies. And having that is super valuable. No, I agree. That that makes really good sense. And then in terms of the skills, you said you went into consulting for skills. We kind of find often that consultants go into like once they pursue the business route, it's usually investment banking and consulting. Can you talk specifically about those types of skills you're looking to acquire? And why kind of consulting or some of these other professions make the most sense for veterans 
or why they don't, I guess, in your own perspective? Um, and I'll go back into intentionality. So I did learn a lot of skill consulting, but they weren't necessarily the skill that would help me build my business. So, you know, I talked about tech sector, industrial, industrial operation strategy, and, you know, change management, all things good to know, but the very specific skills that I would have required to build my business, they're just skills you have to do. Like there's no, there's no like perfect skills for, you know, some of the things I do around product design for comic books and history. There's no school for it. So you just have to, you, it's, it's, you just have to go out and make it. So the, the general argument is consultants, consultancies and investment banking, investment banks, huge organizations, that it can afford to pay you while you learn on a job. And that's and you and since they're so large and they serve a lot of the Fortune 500 industry, you can bounce around and learn all these things whether it's like Excel, PowerPoint presentations, building um, business intelligence dashboards, building, you know, client management skills, storytelling. These are all valuable things. Or you can just do a real strong deep dive into an industry and like become like a like a I wouldn't say an expert, but you can get spun up in an industry in like two to three years really quickly um, as a consultant investment banker. But you are not an operator though. You are not you are not someone who's leading and executing something in the business. So you can so that's like a different type. You know that's a you're, you're, you're kind of building a different type of skill set as a consultant. Consultants also, though, often the exit opportunities are really great. So you can, you can be a consultant for two or three years and often leapfrog your classmates who went directly into industry in some of these companies. However, in some ways in consulting, depending on, depending on the firm and their model, it can also be like, you can be going into a situation where it's basically like needs of the army all over again, where you don't always get to pick the projects that you want to work on. You still have to serve the, the organization has to make money and they're paying you. So you can end up doing work for 18 months to two years that you have zero interest in. Um, and you're being compensated well for that time, but there's an opportunity cost for that because now your skill set is in something that you may or may not care about. Um, so you kind of have to navigate that. And, you know, you kind of have to navigate that decision and, you know, your time. Or like, hey, am I getting... Because the, the question you need to start asking yourself more as a, when you make the transition, am I, get, am I getting what I need out of my time here? In the Army, I didn't have to think about that as much because, you know, it was about the service. You know, about serving my country. So I was always generally getting what I needed out of the time. When you're transitioning, no, you need to be very like intentional and almost selfish about, am I getting what I need out of my time in this place? Am I getting the skills that I need? Am I meeting the people that I, that I need to know to make it to the next level or do the thing that I want to do? No, oh, those are all good points. You actually have time to pick your head up and bank and think deeply about what you want to do next. Yeah. Um, I feel like you shared a lot of great lessons learned. So to kind of like wrap it up, are there any other things that you would 
kind of change or do the same kind of in your transition process or even stepping into your new career. You mentioned kind of terminal assignment. I think the benefits piece is probably the most important piece of that block. So one, how did you think about school and paying for that? And I guess any advice for for veterans still trying to negotiate that cumbersome process with the VA at times? Um, I would just say I didn't do a good job of this. This is something I, 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 I have a regret. I didn't go to the doctor in the military. And, you know, I was, I was in an infantry, um, you know, I was in the 101st and we were deploying a lot. And, you know, the people who got hurt, you know, I just, they were, they were platoon leaders one day and they were in the F shop the next day. <laughs> so I just, I just didn't go to the doctor. I was just like, nope, not doing that. Um, so I'll go to the doctor because, um, at the end of the day, you know, life is short, but it's also incredibly long. And when you're in the military, you're an athlete. You're working out every day. You're doing damage to your body that you will have to carry for probably the next 60 or 70 years. And you should know about it early and you should take care of it early. So just go to the doctor and just document everything. Like, it's like, it's not, you know, getting on profile and skipping PT. It's like, no. You have X damage to your knees. You're going to be fine in your 20s. But once you hit 35, you're going to need a cane. You're going to need a cane. And that's just what it is. Like, there's nothing around it. So just go to the doctor and document those things just so you, you, you know and you have, you have visibility. And the thing I would say is, like, you know, the best thing you can do for your transition is to be the best officer you can. The better your application process, the better, the better, the better, the more successful you are in the army, the better your application, the better your application, the better chance you have of getting a scholarship to 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 go to a really good school. That's that's like one thing I would say. And then um, the other thing I would say, it's and this is very hard to do, and I think everyone struggles this, struggles with this. But I would say, um, comparison is a calling killer. When you spend all your time comparing yourself to other people and their successes and what they're doing, you are destroying your ability to find out what you need to be doing and how you can become successful. Because every time someone gets, you know, one of your friends gets in the top business school or someone gets this amazing job, you are looking at the outcome of a particular set of activities over time. Activities in time that you actually do not have insight into. So how could you ever make an apples to apples comparison? You cannot. So you're spending all your mental energy worrying about something that you shouldn't. You should not be comparing yourself to anybody. You should be finding out what you know you want to do, what your transition looks like, what does life look like look like after the army, what makes you happy, and start charting a path towards success. Given that research, and then reaching out to people who you believe can help you help cover your blind spots or give you more information on the path. And that's what you should, that's what you should be thinking about. Uh, that's, that's another gym or a piece of ranger. Kit there. That's, that's another gym. That's another gym to run your own race. I think that's, that's amazing. Well, Steph, I feel like you've given us like a lot of good nuggets. Any, any other advice that you give to your veterans, like a top one or top two piece of advice that you haven't mentioned already, you know, beyond, you know, taking care of yourself and making sure you go to doctors. Yeah. You mentioned kind of following your calling and purpose, know what kind of skills being very intentional, anything else that you want to share with our listeners? 
Um, I would say, you know, the transition's a little bit scary, but you'll get you'll get through it. It's coming. It's just time, right? Like it's if you're gonna leave the military, it's going to happen, right? So there's a lot of support and a lot of people who are willing to help you out there. And when you're transitioning, that, that is the best time to get help because anyone will pick up your call. Anyone will, most people will be like, hey, it's transitioning vet. You'll get 30 minutes. Take advantage of that. You worked really hard in the military and your reward for working hard in the military if it was just more work. That's kind of the same thing in the civilian sector when you transition. <laughs> so um it's not, I would say like the, the, the pressure of deployment's not there, but you're still working hard. So it's just it's more work, right? So it's just whether it's a work that you actually want to be doing and makes sense for your long-term career trajectory. That makes sense. All great nugget stuff. We really appreciate it. Uh, if people want to connect you and learn more about your story, what you're doing at True Fiction and some of your other ventures, Kind of one, what are they? And then where can they connect with you outside of the, the podcast? So yeah, true fiction's like uh, my main thing. Um, and you can find us at, you know, truefiction.com, T-R-U-E-F-I-K-T-I-O-N.com. You can find us uh, at Twitter at true underscore fiction. You can find us on Instagram at, at true fiction. Well, we appreciate your time, Steph. Good luck and keep us posted now. <laughs>